You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right. Hi, everybody. It is time for American Winer at podcastdetroit.com. This is the third Zoom edition of the show. Um, hoping to, re- to reopen soon uh, the main studio, and uh, we'll get back in there as soon as we can. But for now, we're still on Zoom. I'm in my parents' basement, as I was last week. And uh, joining me tonight, my guest, uh, Miss Becky Kalinda. Am I saying that right? Yes, yeah. yeah. I don't think I'd ever heard it out loud. Now, we were acquainted in high school. You were a year uh, below me. Yes. Um, but we were just talking before we went on the air. We've never actually met in person. So this is the first. I think this will be the longest conversation me and you have ever had. <laughs> it's probably a, like a like a passing in the hallway type thing. Because you right. my sister and brother, but. Yeah, right. Like, hey, here's my whole life story, but I just met you. Yeah, yeah. So this will be a good uh, a good uh, bonding experience. But um, you are a nurse, and so you uh, you have been uh, on the front lines, literally, of the whole COVID nineteen situation. I've been watching your posts on Facebook. It was you and another friend of mine that I would get most of my information from because I knew it was unbiased and it was personal and it was like there's no you know there's nothing there's no corporate filter to this so first of all thank you for for doing what you do and also providing that information to everybody absolutely Um, go ahead oh i was i was gonna say thank you very much yeah no i greatly appreciate you taking like my information with like wholeheartedly Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's it sounds like you know what you're doing. It sounds like it's been a crazy couple of months, and I, that doesn't even begin to cover it. That's a an understatement of all understatements. But yeah. Anyway, I do want to get some background on you. Like I said, we're, we're going to get a brief life story here. Um, so uh, we're going to start off with uh, where were you born? Uh, I was born. I get technical commerce, Michigan, but I was raised in Clarkston. Um, and moved to South Lyon at the ripe old age of nine. Oh, okay. And so do you consider South Lyon or Clarkston your hometown then? Um, considering I lived in South Lyon until I was 25, I, I consider South Lyon like kind of my hometown. Oh, okay. And so what was your childhood like? What did you spend your time doing when you were in school? Well, I had the typical Americana childhood, um, had an older sister, um, you know, went to private school for the first uh, four years of my, or actually nine years of my life. And then to be thrown right into a public public school situation was kind of a new experience for me. So trying to adapt to a private school, public school lifestyle was pretty interesting. Um, I took it um, with stride, definitely joining clubs with a choir. I did drama. I did softball. So just the typical Americana life. Yeah. Well, how old were you when you switched schools then from private to public? Uh, I was uh, going on 10. So it was right when you were going into middle school. So it was everyone had their elementary cliques. And so then I'm thrown into this huge new world of middle schools. Yeah. Well, so that must have been, so you went to private school for elementary school and then, you know, junior high, all of a sudden you moved right. to South Lyon and it's, and it's public school time and you must, and you went to millennium then what was then the only middle school in town, right? Yes. Yeah. So South Lyon, uh, middle school. 
<laughs> right. So what was the biggest change for you there though? Like between private and middle school or private and public school? Um, not have, uh, uniforms. I, uh. I love, I love uniforms. I, I don't have to think about what I need to wear. Um, and, uh, cursive, uh, I came in writing in cursive and these teachers were like, stop writing in cursive. I don't know what you're writing. You need to print everything. So (laughs) this is public school. We don't, we don't do that here. Your handwriting is a little too fancy for me right now. I can't read that. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think they even teach cursive in private school anymore. Do they? I've never, I wouldn't know. My my sister teaches in a private school now and I still don't know. You're going to have to ask her. Yeah. Um, Well, anyway, uh, so uh, what kind of student student were you? Oh, average. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was, I mean, I, I shockingly excelled in English, um, but was always driven towards the science fields. Um, I did really well in math. Um, chemistry was never my strong suit. Oh my God. Um, I still dread chemistry to this day. Mm. Um, but other than that, I was just an average, um, everyday girl. I went to, I went to Eastern for a few years and, uh, got into school crafts, Eastern program or school crafts program quicker. So went to college, same old stuff. I see. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my mom was a nurse. My dad was an engineer. Oh, okay. And so we'll get into you becoming a nurse here. So you said you went to Eastern first and then Schoolcraft, or, or how did that work? So when I went to college was when the whole um, uh, 2008 uh, automotive industry clash or crash. And I remember like that. that. Yeah. Same. Yes. <laughs> and my dad worked for Ford. So we, um, we dad, my dad took the buyout. So I went to Eastern and, um, I was going to stay in a dorm at Eastern and, um, the whole Ford buyout program, uh, paid for my dorm at Eastern for a couple of years. And that was really nice. Um, but Ford was also paying or all the automotive industries were paying for people to go back to school and so everyone went back for nursing because nursing that has a, you know, uh, you'll always have a job with nursing or that's what right. we're told. Right. Um, so um, out of 80 people, um, it was all GPA based. I think I had like a three, eight, three, nine in college. And they were like, there's no way you're getting into our nursing program. Really? Yeah. So um, it was like, do I sit there on a wait list for five years or do I sit here and spend more money? Um, you know, uh, throwing away at college classes that I don't even need that don't even go towards my degree just to see if I can get into that nurse pro- nursing program that semester. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you went to school craft instead? Yeah, so I went to school craft graduated from their program. Um, but in the meantime, between me waiting on a wait list for five years, um, I worked as a pharmacy tech in hospitals and uh, worked with uh, specialty pharmacies and whatnot. Okay. Let's back up a bit. Like what, uh, why did you decide to become a nurse? I know you said it's, you'll never, you'll always have a job, but I mean, was there any more like anything else going into the decision besides that? Anything more philosophical? Um, from my standpoint, I was always, I think, um, my dad put it in perspective one day 
Um, I was just like a 15 year old kid who just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was going to be a choir instructor. That's what I was telling myself. Um, and my dad's like, you're just a very caring and compassionate person. You're always willing to fight for the little man. And I think that you'd be a fantastic nurse. And I think that you would be a great nurse to have at my bedside. So that kind of drove me more towards nursing because I never knew what nursing was. And, and then, what, what, is, what is nursing then? I have to ask. It's everything. <laughs> it's spinning these plates as much as you can. Um, you're just constantly keeping these plates spinning and spinning and, and it's fun and it's adventurous. You have, you wear so many hats. You could be a, you could be a waitress at one moment and then you're a social worker the next moment. You could be a, a for lack of a better term, a doctor at one point, And then you're a janitor. You, you just <laughs> so many different hats. I see. Um, so, so your dad kind of gave you that talk and that was what sort of nudged you in the nursing direction. Yeah. And so then you went to Eastern. So what was that? What were those, uh, years at Eastern? Like, I know it wasn't nursing school per se, but you were sort of, that was kind of your goal for that. Right. Yeah. Um, Eastern, I like, I think back and it was like the typical Americana. Um, although I do remember like the first two or three weeks, um, of my freshman year at college, my teachers were protesting. Um, I believe it was for more wage. I remember that that did happen. Yeah. There was a strike that I was, that was when I moved in uh, to the dorm as well. That was fall 2006. Yes. And, yes. uh, and the, uh, it was over, uh, teacher wages. It was over their wages and it lasted maybe a couple weeks. I remember I just sat in my dorm and did nothing for the right. first two weeks like, of, of Easter. Yeah. It's like, do you go to, do you go to your class? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very much, it was like, wow, is this, it, this is actually, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing right now. There's, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to fill my time. And it was funny because I did the opposite of you. I went to school craft for two years and then I transferred to Eastern. Yeah. So I got the opposite, uh, the opposite experience. Um, but so, so Eastern was mostly just, just, uh, like, it, you know, general class and throwing those kind of credits out of the way. Is that what, what you were doing or was there any nursing stuff involved? There, um, I was on my prereqs for nursing. So it was like your chemistry, biology. Uh, there was no nursing there. No. Okay. So you did that for how long then you were at Eastern? Um, I tried for a year and a half and then realized it would be a better financial decision to go to school grad. It is. I have to say, I actually enjoyed schoolcraft more than uh, than I did my time at Eastern. I did not like Eastern, but I just I liked my professors better. I liked, you know, the dorm. I'm glad I got the dorm experience, but the commuting was nice. It, I just enjoyed it more. I, I can't really. There's nothing really that in depth to it, but I don't know if you feel the same way. But uh. I liked. I definitely liked schoolcraft for the size of the class. I was able to talk mm-hmm. to the professor and get like a good feedback from them. Um, I think that that was like the best way for me to learn nursing ever. Um, I liked Eastern just for the socialization, I guess. I felt more like I got the college experience. So. Yeah, that's, I feel the same way. Like you said, kind of the typical Americana college experience that was, that was going to Eastern for me. It was you know, I, yeah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was just kind of like, well, I guess I'm going to go live in the dorm and eat, eat like shit. And, you know, 
and and sleep all, sleep all the time and blah 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 blah. Right. Um, Eat some ramen noodles and find out how this goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but tell me about uh, nursing school and actually going to schoolcraft. Like, what do you remember your first day and what you guys had to do? Oh, my, our first day was when <laughs> what broke out? Ebola. Ebola was breaking out our oh first day God. of nursing. And it, like the professor's like, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about Don't think you're ever going to work a pandemic in your life. And you're like. <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and that was what? 2014 was when Ebola broke out, I want to say. Yep. Yeah. Four oh years later, God. or no, what, six, uh, yeah, no, six years later. Oh, my God. Yeah, six years later. <laughs> well, so hold on. So if you went to Eastern in 2006 for a year and a half, what did, and then didn't go to nursing school until 2014, what were you doing in between there? Was that the pharmacy stuff and all that? Yeah, so I did specialized pharmacy. It's pharmacy. Um, I got to help with fungal meningitis at St. Joe's. Oh. Um, when that happened, I think that was like around 2012. Um, I got to help with, uh, HIV and AIDS medication, uh, distribution, um, helped like a little startup pharmacy get running for delivering medications to like the inner city of Detroit for HIV and AIDS medication. That was pretty cool. Um, and kind of just did that for the past, you know, five years between. So you already had a background that, that sort of lended, lent itself to, I mean, the medical field anyway. So this is kind of a, it was a natural transition for you, especially yeah. with your mom having been a nurse as well. Yeah. And it's kind of nice to have those different aspects. Like she knows her, how to nurse. And I was like, I knew more of the pharmacy stuff. So it was a good combination to have. So, so, but on your first day, you, you hear, you actually hear, you'll never have to work a pandemic, at least not an Ebola pandemic, knock on wood. Uh, oh my God. But, but so, um, so tell me about how long was nursing school and just tell me about it. Like, what did you do? And, and did you, did you immediately take to it or were you kind of like, I don't know if this is the right decision? Um, so I loved, I love going to school. Um, I love being a student. So nursing school, I loved like going to classes and doing it. The book work was horrible for me. I, I, I'm a horrible test taker. So I, 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 and that's basically what your score, that's how you pass nursing school is test taking. So that was, test taking was so hard for me. Every single day was so anxious when, after you took a test, um, I'd study 16, 18 hours a day and get like maybe an 85%, but it's like, I knew I worked hard for that. So mm-hmm. Um, but as time went on, I got like my clinical skills down. I got my book work down. Um, and you learn different avenues. You learn so much about yourself in nursing school. You learn what you like and what you don't like. So at the beginning, I thought that I would love to be an OBGYN nurse, like go and help deliver babies. And I hated that. That was my <laughs> one thing I hated about nurse. I'm like, I got to go watch this lady try to give birth and nothing happens for 12 hours. Ah, <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. And I found myself liking more of the adrenaline stuff. I liked the codes. I liked the trauma. I liked all that stuff. So I was like, eh. Maybe, maybe I can be like the wearer of all the top hats, mm-hmm. you know? And so what is your title now? Like what you're, you're an ER nurse, right? Yes. So yeah, okay. I work in an emergency department. I'm an ER registered nurse. 
Okay. So how long through school did it take you to sort of, to, to realize, Hey, this is, this is, I think this is the path within this career that I want to take. Almost immediately. Um, I think the Ebola thing kind of like took me back a little bit. Like Mrs. Meharis, like, yo, that's like, (laughs) that is a, (laughs) that comment, like we're never going to have to fight a pandemic. Like, uh, but Almost immediately, I realized that I wanted to be a nurse. Like, you just, you get your first patient, and then you're like, this is what it's all meant for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, you, you finished school, you graduated, and you, you went out and you immediately got a job, probably, I would imagine. Am I right about that? Yeah. And so, you've been doing it ever since then. So, that's like it's, you said, it was six years. So, you've been a nurse, you've been working professionally for what, four years, five yeah. years now? Yeah, four years now. All right. And so um, could I know you can't tell you there's specifics you can't go into, but could you just kind of give us an overview of what that's been like and, and uh, you know, how it's been compared to what you thought it would be and that kind of thing? Um, are you talking about like the whole like? Yeah, just thing? in general. Yeah, just in general. Um, I, again, set my sights a little too high and was like, I'm always going to work in Detroit receiving ER and I'm going to get the top best stuff and blah, 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 blah. And so I got myself into a um, basic ER. It's attached to a hospital. I got, I, I get everything and that's enough for me. I can, I can step it up if I wanted to go to a different level, but I find my job very rewarding. Um, I love that I don't know what's going to walk into my door. I don't know what that EMS call is about. Like, what what are they about to bring me? And it could be some crazy, you know, batshit person on some meth and they're running around butt naked in your ER and then you got to figure out how to get them down while you have a patient over here who be, could be having a heart attack. Like, I love that different. I love not knowing what's going on. Okay. Well, speaking of not knowing, you know, all of a sudden this past, uh, we'll say winter, it was when it started to ramp up. Uh, all of a sudden the world is, is thrown into this historic event that has happened, funnily enough, w- once every hundred years. For some reason, every year ending in 20 for like the past three or four centuries, there's been a pandemic. Um, and uh you know, this with our technology and things, there's there's pros and cons to it. You know, people travel more, so that's not good, but the medicine's better, so that is good. Um, but just so I just I want to get into the COVID stuff. So just tell us about like when did you first hear about it? I guess that would be my first question. And did you think it would become what it's become? Oh no. Um, so I started paying attention to the COVID that everyone was talking about back in uh, middle of February because the doctors, I kept hearing the doctors talk about it and they're like, it doesn't sound good guys. Like this sounds like it's fast moving. Um, and at first we we're like, Oh, it's just the flu. Um, even though we noticed our flu season was terrible um, this past flu season. So we started noticing a trend um, of like de- deer or sorry, different lung diseases that were popping up in our ER. And we're just like, ah, uh, it's not what, it, whatever. It's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Um, and then, then 
the I I did grab a couple masks for myself just in case. I was like, just in case. And then I was like at a bachelorette party when I got news of it. It was finally in Michigan. And I'm like, it's it's not, it's not gonna hit Michigan that bad. Michigan's fine. We don't have the mass transportation that New York City, Chicago, or LA may have. Um, we're gonna be fine. We, Michigan was not fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we we've had. I, I don't know where we're at in the in the in the so-called hierarchy now, but we were the second worst after New York for for a little while there during the peak. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it was bad. And I will always fight to the death and say that the numbers will always be higher than what is ever going to be reported. Oh yeah. It. it we didn't have the testing the first week it was here. Mm-hmm. And we were just sending people home. We were just like, go home. You have it. Quarantine yourself for two weeks. People probably didn't listen to us. And yeah. Well, I, I remember you saying on Facebook too, you said it's mostly asymptomatic people that are spreading this right now. Yeah. That was, that seems to be the case. Um, but so let's so you heard about it in mid February. You were at a bachelorette party when you got the news that that first case had happened in Michigan, which is kind of funny. Um, not the case, but the fact you're at a bachelorette. Party. I know, right? Like, did it ru- did it ruin the party? Oh, it, well. Anytime someone said Corona, we had a drink. So <laughs> did we you were have Corona? Living. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there so- were plenty of those jokes going around. I remember at the beginning of this, before it became serious, before everybody had to stay home, everybody was making Corona beer jokes. Oh yeah, don't you drink know, corona, I- you're gonna get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a case of the Corona. Um, <laughs> but uh, so this, because it really hit us in March and then the peak was in April. And since then, for the most part, the, it seems like the social distancing and the shutdowns have been, have been working because the numbers have gone down. But so for you, like, when did you start to notice, like, just tell us about March and tell us about watching it ramp up and like, and like, realizing like, Oh my God, like this is serious. Like I'll be telling my grandkids about this type of thing. Oh yeah. Um, it was emotionally hard. Um, it was emotionally and physically exhausting. My first patient looking in their eyes and being able to like talk to them. And then 30 minutes later, you're intubating them. Mm-hmm. It's so uncommon. And there was nothing like their lab work was so wonky that you couldn't figure out where this was going to go. And you're like, well, it's affecting their lungs. It's, it, we know it starts with the lungs. We don't know how, we don't know where, we just know it starts in lungs. But then we started noticing that liver enzymes were being uh, drastically increased. And you see all that stuff going down and you would never think two and two together. So like you would have patients who would be immunocompromised. Um, my first patient um, was immunocompromised, had one kidney, and we were told initially to give them fluids. And he's got one kidney, but yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's fighting this. I I gave him too much too many fluids and instantly he was intubated. It's so hard to look at somebody's face when you know you've messed up. Mm-hmm. And looking at their family being like, I I messed up. And mm-hmm. Thankfully, he, he's made it. I've watched his case go every single day, and he's made it. Um, Good. Home, I, I don't know how, by some grace of God, um, but it's just, I don't think 
the world is ready for the magnitude of mental health the the healthcare workers are about to need. Um, <laughs> I I don't know how I was able to go back every day, being able to like just pushing bodies out into the hallway and moving on to the next patient, never being able to like emotionally take in what just happened. Right. And then you come home and then have to decon yourself before you can even like say anything to your loved one. Mm -hmm. And I, everybody was just burnt out. We're, we were all running around like we were stormtroopers with everyone with respirators on, with N95s. You never took them off. We never really ate because you were too scared. Like you were, you see what was going down and you see it happening to your coworkers. It was it's so bad. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, I can tell just from your voice, like you got the emotion that you, it was just this, switch got flipped when you started talking about it, you got into it and it was just, you, it, the seriousness of it just really became apparent and uh, you said you know at the beginning you know you, you guys didn't really know nobody knew how i mean this is literally a brand new disease no humans had never had it before so how could anybody know how how it's going to react to this i remember hearing they said oh it's a it's a lung disease it's a lung disease then now i i they're saying that it's actually a blood vessel disease that just happens to attack the heart or i mean the the the, uh, the lungs um yeah. people were have people that were otherwise asymptomatic young people were having strokes you know it's it really is quite terrifying and the thing that makes it the scariest is the fact that um it's kind of a the shittiest lottery possible because most people aren't going to have many symptoms but the people that do um tend to to get it the people that do get it bad they get it about as bad as you could possibly get it and yeah. this is all on top of the bad flu season that you guys had so you were already dealing with quote unquote normal you know stressful situations so uh yeah i mean it's, so i guess my my next question would be uh did you notice a certain trend in in patients like the, you heard it early on, like it's, oh, it's only, you know, older people that, that get it really bad, or it's only people with pre-existing conditions or underlying conditions. Did you notice any of that or was it just kind of totally random? So it was like, they were right on, yes, old people got it and they got it bad. Yes. People with hypertension and diabetes got it really bad. Yes. Agree. Um, but what I don't know about, I, I had so many people who like were my age, like in our or early or like late 30 or sorry, early 20s, mid 20s and uh, 30s who would get it and were intubate, like we're intubating them. And there was, they had no health conditions whatsoever. My one nurse buddy, she got it and she is as fit as a fiddle, has no health problems. And she was almost intubated. And it's like that part of it, it's like you don't know with that aspect who's going to get hit. Mm -hmm. Have you heard, have you heard the, the idea that um, the amount of exposure that you have factors in as well? So like a, nur a nurse who gets it, it's going to, even if she's totally healthy, would get it worse than somebody who's also totally healthy, but is only sort of exposed, say, at the grocery store. And they don't get it. So the amount of your exposure factors in. Is that true? Have you heard that? Or is that just total BS? 
I think that would be BS because I mean, I would say I, I actually did the math and I was exposed 60 plus times mm-hmm. and never ever had a single symptom whatsoever. My buddy that I told you about recent that had it, she's a nurse. Um, she maybe had five to 10 contacts. So she doesn't, she's not like full time. Mm-hmm. So she would not have gotten it as 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 much exposure as someone like who's been there every single day right right how many people were coming through at at, at the height of this like how many people would into the hot were coming into the hospital oh my god um i think at one point our er was at our capacity um is roughly 50 and we were sitting on 72 in the er at one point Um, our numbers were astronomical. Um, we were seeing 70 patients a day for at least two weeks. And and what are they at now? What have they gone down to? Um, so now we're back to, um, some old time nursing. Like that's what I like to call it. I was old time nursing. Um, (laughs) Pre-COVID nursing. Yeah. Pre-COVID. Um, we're probably back to like seeing about 30 of those patients a day, which is good. Mm-hmm. So, so everything worked then you would, you would say the, the, the government's, uh, sort of, uh, restrictions and the social distancing and then not only them telling people to do it, but then people actually following the rules and doing it and wearing the masks, it actually worked. 1000%. Um, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, uh, the next question would be, because now that we're in this lull, now that this stuff worked, um, and, and now it's funny because COVID is kind of old news now because we have these riots going on. And yeah. I mean, they're not riots. They're, they're sometimes riots, but they're mostly protests, yeah. very justified protests. Um, but uh, you, so you have all these after this, during this pandemic, it's not like the pandemic's over. You have all these people getting together you see a lot of people wearing masks but there's very little social distancing that i've seen at least in the you know the 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 news and the the pictures that they publish um so are you worried about a second wave and if so when do you think it would hit and what do you think it would it's going to be like i hope there's no second wave i try not to think about it um on these protests are 1000% like we said they're very warranted um, it scares me that they're th- the lack of masks. That's what's mm-hmm. the most. Um, because you do see, um, one of the populations that was hardly hit, you see them protesting and you're like, oh no, oh no, they're not wearing masks. Oh no. I wouldn't be surprised if we see another wave end of June, early July. Really? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would like to be pleasantly optimistic to see our second wave happen in October, but I think these protests um, are and and the riots are going to just kind of perpetuate the numbers a little bit. Um, do you, with that in mind, do you have any advice for people of things that you're really not hearing anybody say in terms of what they can do to prevent it, um, or or just be smart in in in, uh, in lowering their chances of getting it even if they want to protest uh the masks i think are great mask i i you know i see the if you a mask 
Um, mm-hmm. And just a basic bottle of hand sanitizer for yourself. That's all you need. That's all. That's all I've been rocking, and you know, I've been fine. Um, I think that hand sanitizer would be a big benefit to them too. Mm-hmm. So just the basics, then. Just keep doing what you've been doing, and be and don't be stupid about it. It sounds like exactly. We well, guys don't have been be everyone's been great. Let's just keep it going. Like just let's just keep the masks on. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. To, I mean, it's not funny, but it's just it's ironic that of all the freaking years that this that these protests could happen it happens in the middle of the damn pandemic and it's on the heels of this of the worst pandemic uh that this and we, we've seen in a century in this yeah. country it's, it's unprecedented um and so uh i hope you're right i hope that the, i hope there's no second wave um but if there has to be one it would be nice to 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 not have it happen until the fall when you guys have had some time to after busting your asses and like you said the the, the mental toll that this is all taken on you um it i can't even imagine it it's it's uh it, it must take extraordinary strength to be able to i mean even just being a nurse in general you know it, i i i can't get along with people you know, just, you know in, in public so i can't i can only imagine what they're like when they're like you said they're having a heart attack or they're on meth so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so just that alone, so let alone, you know, the, the normal days and then having to deal with this where you, cause it's like you said, it's, it's overwhelming. It's this, it's the knowledge of what's happening just around the world. And then it's also the reality, your own reality, which is happening right in front of you and yeah. having to shoulder all that and also, and do it every day and not knowing what's going to happen. But I mean, you know, you made it through it and and you're here. And, uh, and so that's, that's awesome. You know, I think, I think you should really, all this hero talk and stuff, it just sounds so it's like, it's, it's awful. Like, like people tweeting black lives matter, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of lip service to me, but there is the words don't, don't do justice to the actions. You know what I mean? It it just isn't, uh, it doesn't do it justice. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to to form a sentence right now, just, just trying to get it out, you know? Um, but it, cause I see how emotional you were getting there, you know, just talking about it. And it's like, I, I really wish there was something that people, I know that there's stuff that people could do. We need to pay you guys more damn money. That's, that's the first thing. Hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be cool. I just pulled someone like a, I don't know, a butt plug out of someone's butt. I'd like to get a couple yeah. of, that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I do think that, uh, when, you know, whenever we figure out this universal health care thing, um, which I'd love to get your thoughts on that too, actually. I don't know. We don't need to get too far into politics, but I mean, are you in favor of Medicare for all or universal health care or something? Like, what do you think? Um, considering seeing our response as opposed to people who have universal health care, I want universal health care. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's good to know. Well, whenever that comes in, I think that there's there's going to be this. Uh, there needs to be like a a mental health care system that's that's parallel to the actual health care system, yes. and yes. we yes. need to just spend the damn money on it and just and just get it done. And that way, we don't need to worry about. I mean, well, I'll, it's the wrong way to put it, but we, it'll be taken care of. You know, there will be a place for these people to go, and also that ties in to the police brutality thing because now the cops don't have to deal with the mentally ill people that, that are, that get 911 called on them. So it all ties in. 
Um, so uh, I, I wanted to ask you, you, you were, we were hearing during the peak that uh, there, was a, there was a major struggle to have the right equipment for you guys, um, that you guys were having difficulty getting what you needed. Uh, it was your, your experience, you, said you grabbed a couple of masks for yourself early on, but did you find that, that, you know, what was that like in terms of the, you know, having enough masks and, and, and protective equipment? So I, I, my company blessed us and was proactive and we didn't realize that at first when all of our masks were taken away, um, like late February, we're like, wait, what, 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 what are you doing? And I know it was to ration them out appropriately and it works. Um, our company was very, very good. Um, I never felt like there was going to be a lack of masks. Um, our biggest lack was gowns, um, which that's fine. I'm going to go decon myself anyway, when I get home, that's fine. So, um, I always told myself if I never had a mask at work, I'm not going to work. So, and I always made sure I had a mask before I clocked in and I always had them and I, I can never thank my company enough for that. So that's actually great then. So they, they, they did their jobs to put it bluntly. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so that's, that's great. Did, um, you, you keep saying decon. I know that's probably sure for decontaminate, but could you tell us how, what, what does that constitute? What, what is decon? What do you do when you decon yourself? So I um, have a, like a attached garage. So what I would do is I would not go in the house um, until I had everything off and I went right to a shower. I wouldn't touch the dog. I wouldn't touch my significant other, nothing. Um, went right to the garage, took my shoes off, walked to the back door, and that's where our washer and dryer was. I would just strip right there, take everything off right there, throw it all in, and run strictly to the shower and wouldn't touch anything, and then just go behind myself and take a Lysol wipe after. Mm -hmm. And I did that every single shift for two months. Oh my God. And you couldn't, and it, you couldn't like half acid or anything, even though no. you, were, you were just dead tired. You yeah, would have yeah. to like, continue to do it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not giving my dog COVID. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause dogs can get it. Can't yeah. they? Oh my God. <laughs> um, so I know I'm kind of bouncing around with the questions here, but I just, I want to get as much in as I can. Um, yeah. But what's the biggest myth that you've heard of, of all this when it comes to COVID? Like the biggest myth that you've heard perpetuated, not necessarily, I mean, it could be by the media, but just maybe even like people on the street or people in the, in the store. Um, that it was, uh, what was that? The, the waves, the cell towers, what was it? Oh, the, the 5G, yeah, the 5G yes, towers the 5G. are causing it. What, like what? No, <laughs> I wish it was that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be a very simple solution. Wouldn't it? That we'd yeah. all just burn down the towers and, yeah, and that would just be knock it. the tower down. We're good. Um, I completely forgot that was even a thing. The 5g yeah. conspiracy, you know? Um, I, I don't, I, I stopped following really early on, but I don't know where Fauci standing at the moment, but like a lot of people hated Fauci for what he was saying. And at first it was like, yeah, okay, we should actually be listening to this man. And then mm -hmm. 
yeah, so that happened. Um, but I think the 5G thing was the biggest one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, it's so funny. I asked that question, and then as soon as you said that, I'm, I, I'm like, yeah, that was the biggest myth that, that, that anybody heard, right? Yeah. Um, I remember early on, I was, uh, it was in early March, and um, I was in Meyer, and it was like the wee hours of the morning. So it was right before everything started to, to get shut down. Um, but people were, people knew it was coming at that point. It was like maybe a week before. And I was in Meyer and I was talking to one of the employees and she was, you know, the shelves were empty and, uh, and she was saying, yeah, I'm from Florida. You know, this happens every time there's a hurricane, whereas people up here aren't used to it. And as we're talking about it, this guy walks by and he goes, you know, this is just a, a, a ploy to make Trump look bad. Right. And he was dead serious. And, and I was like, I, I I looked at him and I was like, it's a pretty like impressive conspiracy that, I mean, this is a worldwide thing, you know, like, I don't know how, and, and how did we get all of the countries on board? I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> so that, that kind of, uh, thinking was just kind of, it didn't even, I, I it, it's not even like worth making fun of it to me. It's just kind of tragic, you know? Yeah. Like it, and then you wonder what happened to that guy. Did he end up getting it, you know, and, and is he all right now? Did he make it through? Is, is he, did any of his family members get it? Yeah, exactly. You about that. I also think about um, everybody who is buying toilet paper. Like, you now have a metric fuck ton of toilet paper in your garage. <laughs> did you fit yourself as much as you thought you did? You were going, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's another thing. It's been such a crazy couple months. The toilet paper craze. That's right. That was a thing. That was a thing in March. And and now, hey, you know what? Um, those people don't have to buy toilet paper for maybe depending on how much they got, they could they could be good for another couple of years. Toilet exactly. paper doesn't go bad. So yeah, so, you're good. You're golden for like five years now. Yeah. So at least that's you know that's that's a, a bad decision that uh, doesn't have to end in uh, in misery. Yeah. You know. Um. But. Uh, so are there any uh, words of reassurance you have for people um, now that this is sort of, uh, you know, calmed down a little bit and we're trying to prevent a second wave and we're hoping we don't get one, but is there anything that you've seen that just kind of gives you hope about the whole situation? The community, the community. I, I very rarely see somebody who walks in without a mask on. Um, if I do see it, it's, I look around and I see that majority of people do have masks on. And you know what, if it's that one person, that's fine, whatever. But I think the overall community response has been a beautiful experience because you see everyone joining together and mm-hmm. you see people wearing the mask because they're listening and they understand the severity of it. Um, they may have not had a loved one who's affected by it, but they may have had a friend who had a friend who had a mom who died from it. Um, and it's like, those are the beautiful things that you see is the community coming together and doing this together. Yeah. I remember that what you just said reminded me of something. Um, I don't know if you remember the blackout of 2003. Remember when all the yeah. power went out in the yes. Midwest? That that happened, and and it was it felt to me like when I look back on it now, it seems like it was out for a couple of weeks. It was actually like three or four days, um, but uh, I remember reading something after that happened, and this is before you know this is during sort of the the beginning of the Iraq War and sort of all the things that really polarized us. So we weren't nearly as polarized as we are now, but we were 
pretty polarized. Um, we'd had nine 11 in the 2000 election and things, but, uh, I remember reading this magazine article and it said, uh, you know, people always expect society to break down when everything goes to shit. It, it, it didn't actually say that I'm paraphrasing it, but, uh, yeah. it, what this, what this crisis revealed was a pretty united group of people. And in what speaking, when a group of people, it means the United States. And so that's good to know that I think you're right. There's for the most part, people are pretty rational and they, you know, I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate Whitmer's team following the data. I keep hearing them say that. And it's like, that's exactly what they should be doing. That's what we elected them to do. Um, and uh, it's, it's just good to know that, that for the most part, people do listen when, when they have to. And I mean, even though like it, it got bad, it got, you know, unprecedentedly bad. It still could have been a hell of a lot worse um, if, pe- if more people hadn't listened. And it's good to know, it's good to hear you say that it really is as simple as, as just keeping your hands clean and, and wearing a mask if you're around other people. Yeah. Um, it seems like it, that just seems so simple for such a, 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 a situation of this magnitude, you know, but it, that really is all it takes. Um, so that's good to hear. And you're right, the community, seeing people react the way that they didn't be rational about it for the most part. I mean, you're going to have idiots, you know, we all remember those guys at the Capitol with their guns and all that. But oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll, you know. you'll always be there. There's always going to be that bad apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So it's, you know, uh, it, it is it is good to know, and it's good to know there's people like you out there that are that are that are doing, you know, that are, have volunteered to do this for your. This is your life's pursuit. You know what I mean? This is what you spend your time doing, and you never expected. I mean, that's so funny that the first thing the woman says, you're never going to have to work a pandemic. And then this is probably going to be, you know, I hope this is the only major part of your career where you have to deal with this. You know, this will be like COVID will always be where, you know, that was the six years into my career. That was the big deal. Um, That was the big one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So just, I mean, what what you got coming up here, like what's your, what's your future look like for the next, you know, just coming up in general, I guess, like, what do you got going on? So, um, I want to go back to school. Um, this is like more ramp me up to do like, as you said, I like numbers or like the number game. I would like mm-hmm. to go into data or research now, um, and look at different like infectious diseases or maybe look at, um, infectious disease in an emergency state. Um, mm-hmm. as it, i.e. a pandemic. Um, and what could have we done differently? Um, could our response been better? I would like to get more into depth with that research and development um, and just look at the uh, numbers. I also was uh, considering going back for my trauma coordinate to be a trauma coordinator um, and uh, coordinate traumas, but I think right now um, infectious disease is pretty interesting. So, so you want to you want to pr- help prevent it from happening again then with that? Yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> that was a lot of work. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're so we're at about uh, we got about five ten minutes left here, so I'm going to okay. wrap up. But uh, the last question I want to ask is like, what's the one thing that you'll take away from this? Be it a memory or a piece of advice or just you know 
what's the one thing that you think of when you look back on this COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, the, the comfort I was able to provide every single one of my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew what was going down by their lab values. And instead of talking about them with them, I talked about what they liked. What did you like? What, what do you want to talk about? Cause I knew I was going to be in those rooms for a long period of time. So what, it was the comfort and learning their stories. Mm-hmm. I think it was doing, it was doing what you set out to do initially. Like what yeah. you said, like what your dad said, you know, I'd love to have you at my bedside. It sounds like, you know, he was right. It turned out that he was totally correct about that. Thank you. I appreciate hearing that. Um, yeah, well, uh, well, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. And um, thanks so much for coming on, Becky. I really appreciate you talking about this. This is I can tell that this is you know. I hope I was respectful about the whole situation because it really is. You know, uh, I I bring this up on the podcast a lot, but uh, I and I so I apologize to everybody who's heard me talk. But I worked for a hospice for three years, and so I I I have some experience with the with that particular situation, and it's just you know. There are no words, you know, and, but I, but what I went through is absolutely nothing compared to what you went through where you, like you said, it was pushing people out and then having to go back in and do it again and just not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my point is, um, it's, you know, like I said, extraordinary, extraordinary strength you, you must have to be able to, to put yourself through that. And here you are and you seem, like I said, I didn't really know you before, but from what I've seen on Facebook and, you know, from what I've, you know, what I do know about you, it's you know, it's the same old Becky. So, so that's, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, thank you um, very much. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, good luck to you. And, um, and, and, you know, we'll, uh, maybe we'll talk again sometime. But, yeah. Uh, again, th- All right. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll see what happens, whether there's a second wave or not. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reconnect. Uh, that sounds fantastic. All right. Um, cool. Well, Becky Kalinda, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and everybody else, I am going to do one more zoom show next week. Uh, and, uh, it's with a guy named Cheyenne Goff, who was in the band bliss 66 back in the two thousands. And then he's, he was in paper street saints and he's in half light music now. Um, but he's a local musician. Um, and we're going to, it's been a while since I've had a musician, uh, from Detroit on. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, uh, and then after that, hopefully, uh, the studio will be back open. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, but so thanks everybody for listening. Thank you again, Becky, for coming on and all the you do. And, uh, and this has been American Wine on podcastdetroit.com.